Welcome aboard Backbone Radio. Feel like I was just here. I was just here hosting for Randy Corcoran last night. And usually when I come in and I sit down in the studio, I have to adjust the chair down to the proper height. Because whoever it is who shall remain nameless, who sits here before me, is like half my height. Half my height. And they have the chair like halfway up to the ceiling. And I can't even get near the microphone if I don't adjust the chair like whoo, back down to earth. <laughs> now I could reach it. And it's kind of fun to come in here and the chair's all right. And I got my headphones sitting right there, ready for action. I put them on. Everything is a go. Blake's got all the audio in there. We've got all new music tonight, right? All new music. Never, yes, sir. Never played before on Backbone Radio. I'm kind of looking forward to some of that. Kind of, you know, the latest stuff. But I just point out that the podcast listenership, which is, I think we're almost at 70 different countries now, have tuned in, and uh, of course, the vast majority of it in the United States of America, who find America First Talk Radio more than appealing, shall we say. But there's three new podcasts up from last night that are are certainly worthwhile, and they're the kind of things I always joke with people, you know, hey, if you're having insomnia, put on my podcast. Put that on, and it will knock you right out. Actually, it does the other thing. You'll have a hard time sleeping once you listen to what we've been talking about. Uh, well, some nights. Some nights, anyway. But welcome aboard. And we've, we're going to be covering all kinds of new stuff that we did not have time to get to last night. I have the stacks of stuff. Would you almost say I am legendary for bringing in these giant stacks of stuff there's only one other host around here that does it quite like that, just brings in all the stuff and lugs them up the stairs and in the elevator, and that's Boyle. Boyles does that. Boyles is a big, big reader type. I'm sure other ones do, too, but uh, the ones who are legendary at it, I'm just saying, you know, just, just tooting my own horns, becoming a bad habit I'm, I'm developing. I was doing that last night, and I promise I'll quit, and if I ever do it, I'm doing it tongue-in-cheek. And with a great deal of guilt involved. I was reading this book recently, and speaking of being the reader type, and found this new kind of favorite author, a fellow named Erling Kage, Norwegian guy, K-A-G-G-E, first name E-R-L-I-N-G. And I just read all of his books, sat down and read them all. And he's got a book about silence, about how he says silence is a luxury in modern society, in a modern society so full of noise, that we're always looking around for what is the luxury? How can we, how can we live the life of luxury? And Kaki comes to the conclusion that silence is one of those luxuries that's often overlooked or not perceived as such in modern day living. This guy, Erling Kage, by the way, was the first guy to walk solo to the South Pole, then also walked to the North Pole. Well, he was on skis on both of those. And then he up and climbed Mount Everest. So technically the first guy to get to all three poles, North Pole, the South Pole. And I guess you don't really think of Mount Everest as a pole, but I guess it's a pole. It's a kind of a pole. It's like a very tall pole. I believe it's 29,935. My memory, if my memory served that right, I've never climbed that one. 
But I've been about half that high in my career. I've always wondered, how high could I go before I would really start feeling the altitude? Before I would start feeling that the air is just too darn thin to be surviving? And I haven't gotten that high yet. The highest I've ever been is 16,000 feet in Peru. And it did all right. Oh, I've been corrected, 29028. Very good. Very good. Thank you for that. It was, it's not 29,935. Where'd I get that? 29,028. I missed it by 907 feet, which is, um, which is not really forgivable. Sometimes I do that. I miss things by just a, just a, f- a fraction or a few feet, a few hundred feet, 900 feet. At any rate, Kage has another book called Walking, which I did a, Kind of a fun segment about the importance of walking, which is out there on the podcast. Did that a couple weeks ago, filling in for Randy Corcoran. And you don't usually hear stuff like that on, you know, what is often cultural, political, current events talk radio. But sometimes we get philosophical. Anyway, Kage has another book called Philosophy for Polar Explorers. And I like this book. It's very good. It's very interesting. And I think this Kage guy is kind of just a understated adventurer, explorer kind of guy who happens to now run a publishing house in Norway. But anyway, one vignette. And how do I, how do, I do it? I take so long to get to the point to get to my vignette. But there's a little segment. There's a, there's a little thing where Erling Kage has traveled over 100 countries around the world and done a lot of adventuring, but one time he was in Bangalore, India, where I believe they speak Kannada. The language is called Kannada. Had a roommate from Bangalore once, and he spoke Kannada. I didn't speak any Kannada. I believe it's a variant of Hindi. And I'll stop distracting myself and get to the point. So over 100 countries is in the jungle outside of Bangalore, and he sees this bunch of elephants out there in the jungle that are domesticated and they are being managed by elephant trainers. And there's a, he, he saw this one particular elephant that was just this huge, huge elephant. And it was tied up to a stake or to a little pole. We're talking about North Pole, South Pole, and the Mount Everest Pole, But there's another little pole, this little tiny pole that this explorer, Erling Kage, saw this elephant tied to. Just this little pole, this little rope, this little pole, and the elephant just sits there, all domesticated, doesn't try to make a run for it, doesn't try to escape, somehow thinks that there's no way that gigantic elephant could lift that pole out of the ground or do anything with it, just thinks that, you know, hey, I'm hostage to that pole, and just the elephants learn to live with it. Anyway, apparently Erling Kage asked this elephant trainer in Bangalore, how can you keep such a large elephant tied to such a small stake? And the elephant trainer said, when the elephants are small, they try to pull out the stake and they fail. When they grow large, they never try to pull out the stake again. End quote. 
And I just think that's one of those one of those vignettes that can be applicable in a lot of different directions, including to our own selves. Do you ever think that we underestimate ourselves? Do you ever think that? Do you ever think that, you know, a little baby elephant tied up to this pole, it's just kind of a bigger pole at that time, and they try to set themselves free. They try to escape the pole, but they fail. They can't do it. It's just big enough to keep a baby elephant all tied up and imprisoned and locked in the matrix. And then the elephant grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they remember that they cannot deal with that pole, that they have no chance against that pole that they were tied to when they were baby elephants. And I think there's something there in politics, and I think there's something there in overall, you know, let us not be underestimating ourselves, and let us not be underestimating what we can do when we work together. And when you start tying it into some of the political themes we'll be getting into tonight, do you see how the ruling class, the unloved ruling class, why I always describe them as so afraid and so scared and so fragile and so panicked? They, um, they know that they have the American people, this huge, gigantic elephant tied up to this little tiny stake. And the moment that little elephant decides, that huge elephant decides to lift that pole out of the ground, it can do so and end the ruling class. Think about the Be right back. There we go. Coming back with Miley Cyrus, a new tune. From Miley, it's called Flowers, and I am voting for that song as the best new song of the summer. That's something we always do at Backbone Radio. We try to isolate and distinguish and determine which is the best new pop song, the summer pop vibe song. In 2023, I'm going to put that one in there. It's got to be light. It's got to be bubblegum pop. And that's that's the one. I have a feeling there might be people out there disagreeing with me. But Miley Cyrus has had the checkered career, right? And she comes from good stock, you know, Billy Ray. Cyrus, achy, breaky heart. Is that one of the all-time most, most infamous earworm songs you could ever imagine? You hear that song once, and it is stuck in your head for the entire next year. Stuck. So we're not going to play that one tonight. Not even going to hum it. Not even going to sing it. But Miley Cyrus, Party in the USA, that song came out, oh, 10, 12, 15 years ago. And I know, Blake, you know all this stuff. I know you follow all this stuff, and you're into the the girl bands and the boy bands and all that. But Party in the USA, that song, for whatever reason, it's still good. It's still fresh. My kids somehow discovered it and liked it, and somehow I missed it back when it came out, thinking, Miley Silas, I'm not going to listen to that. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to subject my ears to that. But now, you know, you have kids, and yeah, it's like kind of a good song, but Miley. So Flowers, I'm putting that on the list. And just to finish that thought about the elephant tied up to the stake, maybe I'll revisit some points on this as the show goes on is that that little tiny elephant trainer is controlling that elephant with this tiny little stake and this tiny little rope. 
control, controlling the elephant. And that big, huge elephant doesn't seem to realize because of early discipline or early punishment or early training that, you know, the elephant, this big, large animal, is helpless and doesn't have any awareness of its own power, of its own strength, of its own abilities. And there's something about human nature that tends to fall in that category as well, I'm sad to say, and you especially do see it politically. But when I go off about why the, yes, the ruling state is so fragile and so unloved and so nervous all the time, and why they are so afraid of Donald Trump, they are so afraid of him, they can't, they can't domesticate that guy, they can't control that guy. No matter what they do, they can't control him, and so they have to make all this stuff up and spy on him and try to impeach him and try to arrest and indict him, and he just doesn't want to stay tied to the stake. By the way, neither does Tucker Carlson. He wasn't going to toe the line for the Murdochs, the scumbag foreigner Murdochs, as Steve Bannon calls them, scumbag foreigners. But yet, Tucker Carlson is out there two nights ago now interviewing at that Blaze Summit, what is it, a family summit conference thing? He interviews one GOP retread rhino after another. And I don't know, do they all look to you like just completely domesticated animals? Mike Pence doesn't care about American crumbling cities. What he cares about is that Ukraine doesn't have enough tanks. Asa Hutchinson, the rest of them, well, Vivek was all right. Vivek made a few good points, I think. But I think the people that are controlling the American population, they're trying to control us, and they know, they know that we do not love them. They know that we, in fact, despise them and their government and what they do, the things they do, the lies they tell, the propaganda they run the unelected people that are calling the shots around this place, and they feel it. They're nervous. They know they've got this little tiny pole on the ground, they've got this little tiny rope, and they've got this huge elephant who doesn't realize its own power. Just like out in the jungles of Bangalore, just as described by author Erling Kage, so just a little thought about this. Let's not be underestimating ourselves. Let's learn some of this stuff. Let's not be so easily domesticated by the people behind the curtain. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, we're on to something. Why don't we say hello on the phone lines to Rick in Aurora? Rick, are you in town? Or are you out running a marathon somewhere? What's going Matt, on, sir? Matt, I was in, uh, just got back from Aspen, ran my 280th marathon in Aspen yesterday, and just wow. got home. And Wow. Now, if it was in Aspen, you might have had some uphill and some downhill, or did they find a flat spot for you? Uh, up and down. It, it was straight course from Aspen to Basalt. Okay, yeah. So not that hilly. And you, uh, yeah, I, I've seen worse, but yeah, a couple. There was a couple uh, crushers. Yes. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, you know, you hit mile what fifteen, and then suddenly you find yourself going uphill. 
That's got to get your attention, Rick. Even you. That's got to. Yeah, oh, definitely. No, you're you're really in the ballpark for the mileage where it does increase. So yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, but, uh, hey, big salute to yeah. you, and yeah, you're 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 the kind of individual that you know we 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 preach getting off the couch a lot around here and getting Absolutely. up and getting in gear, and uh, you're 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 doing that. You're you're embodying that, Rick. Big salute to you. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, we uh, tuned in on the computer last night's show. That was a great show. Oh, right on. I, yeah, I sat in for Randy Corcoran three hours. Right. Podcasts right. are up. We were having fun, I'll tell you. Now, here's my comment upon the Tucker. Would you say that was a forum or a debate? What would you describe that as? I think it was billed as a forum, but Tucker did turn it into a debate by asking okay. follow-up questions, right? I mean, he, he wouldn't let it go sometimes. Okay, here's the question my wife and I wanted to ask you. Who do you think really won the forum debate? Oh, hands down, Donald Trump. He he wasn't there. Right. You know, yeah, if no, Trump no, was we, the presence. Right, right. right. But we, of the participants, who won? No, actually, uh, it was a trick question. Okay, we were, yeah. We were going to say Tucker Carlson. <laughs> okay, yeah, Tucker. Yeah, Tucker yeah, by I, the time I, you, you listen to it, you go, you want Tucker to run for president. But, you know, of course, we want Trump. But Do you know I that mean, the crowd was asking him that? They were asking him. They say, could you run? Could you run, yeah. Tucker? And he emphatically stated he does not have an interest in running. And oh, I think okay. he'd be my first choice for VP for Trump Absolutely. if we had a choice. You would agree Absolutely. with that? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's not. Oh, geez. Jeez, that would make the year so great to finally hear the truth and put these people in their damn place. Because we're looking for people who are not domesticated. Obviously, Tucker not domesticated, right. so they fired him, right? Fox yep. lost half their audience. Yep, they don't but care. he's really committed to wanting to tell it like it is and like he sees it. It's, that's, a, that's a key passion for him. That's why he bothers to do what he's doing, right? To yeah, comment right. in the media. Yeah. It, what happens to society when everything right now, come on, it, it's based on a lie. Everything that's happening Terrible, terrible thing to do to the American people. The lie is what is rewarded, and the truth is what is punished. If you're a truth teller, yeah. you go out and tell the truth, they'll try to punish you for that. And that's, that's the totalitarian regime. I might crank up a monologue on that as this show goes on. I touched upon it a bit last night. Jordan Peterson talking about that, that totalitarian yeah. regimes, that's, that's what they're about. Tucker was actually saying that same thing yesterday. And don't you feel it all around you, the lie, the big lies? And oh. It's kind of funny. They, op they adopt that language. Oh, the big lie. That's, that's what Trump's doing, right? But, uh, yeah, well, the big lie is a Marxist <laughs> term. You know that. It is. It is. Well, Rick, all the best, sir. Congrats on 280. Be right back. Here we go. Fancy Like by Walker Hayes. Kind of like that country tune. I like that catchy riff line there and little song about a guy who found the right kind of gal who normally they eat at Wendy's. Is that what the song is? But after he gets paid, they splurge, they go to Applebee's. And I thought, yeah, that, that one, that's a tongue-in-cheek country tune there and Welcome back to Backbone Radio. Your thoughts invited, 303-696-1971. Been enjoying just kicking back and visiting 
with one and all of late, just extending the conversations as we are able, working around the posts, the posts, the poles. Yeah, this is the, the pole hour, North Pole, South Pole, the Mount Everest Pole, which, by the way, has been corrected one more time. It is not, where's, where's my information on, uh, on that? It is not 29,032, or it is, it is actually 29,032. It is not 29,028. They keep changing the numbers. By the way, does anybody notice this, that some of the Colorado peaks have had their, their numbers changed? I remember back when Mount of the Holy Cross was 14,001 feet, and now it's a little different. And I remember when Mount Evans was 14,264 when I was a kid, and now it's a little different. And Pikes Peak, is it still 14,110? Because it should be. And I don't think they've changed Elbert, 14,433, and I don't think they've changed Massive, 14,421. But some other ones have changed, and that throws me off because I have that sort of mind that I like to know exactly how tall every mountain is. I'm one of those, I like to like look at my watch and see what my altitude is a lot. Yeah, but they keep changing things, and I guess they get better data, you know. Or maybe, you know, it's that climate change thing, and climate change, and then the mountains start getting taller or shorter here and there. Just I'm just kidding. Had an alert listener send in a note about RFK Jr. He's out there stating that lefties, RFK Jr. is saying that lefties are using climate change fear to control people. Yeah, it's about control. And one of the things about the way they try to control us is that there's a lot of fear involved with their efforts to control us. And so they exert, and they exert more and more control. They try to make examples of people. You ever notice that? That that is one way to control a population, is to make an example out of somebody, and then somebody else. Make a big, bad example of them, and then run it through the media echo chamber and say, oh, look, this person tried to step outside of ruling class deep state control, and ooh, look what happened to him. Look what we did to him. Oh, that person will never want to do that again. So that's another thing, another element of their control. And it's another area where, oh, it just gives them fits because they just still can't control Trump. They've lied about him. They've hoaxed about him. They've spied on him. <laughs> they've covered up their spying on him. They've done all the stuff. They've arrested him. They've indicted him. They've impeached him, and they just can't get it done. And he's far and away, far and away, the dominant presence in the Republican Party primary, just dominating. And morning consult poll has him at 56% for the GOP primary. DeSantis, oh, down at 17%. Which Richard Barris observes of the People's Pundit that that is DeSantis's all-time low in the morning consult poll. So he's drifting down. And that does bring me to DeSantis for just a moment. In that DeSantis is firing staffers. Hmm. 
DeSantis has fired a dozen of his staffers as the campaign is running on fumes in on certain levels. The the campaign payroll burn rate is approaching thirty percent. And guess what? Two thirds and we've been saying this, two thirds of all campaign funds come from big donors. Big donors. That's who DeSantis connects with is the big donors. Oh, he doesn't connect with the voters. See, it's a different kind of connection, right? Going out, connecting with the voters, that is what Trump does. But going around, connecting with the donors, that's what basically every other politician in America does. Go out and connect with the donors. Go out and connect with the media people. That's what they try to do. That's where they think they're connecting matters. So Donald Trump has raised, let's see, it doesn't say which quarter this is. I believe this is the most recent quarter of reporting, and the reporting just came out. Trump has raised $35 million, and guess what his average contribution is? $34.20. That means... Donald Trump gets millions of middle-class and working-class folks donating to his campaign, and the average is thirty-four twenty. And I still can't find where they report the average donation number for DeSantis, but it has got to be a very high number, right? Because they have a lot fewer donors. So Trump takes in thirty-five million. Dollars and DeSantis took in $20.1 million. And two-thirds of that $20.1 million are from maxed-out donors. Does that make sense? There's technically a limit on how much money you can donate to a campaign. And two-thirds of the DeSantis donors have reached their limit, which means they won't be donating more to Ron DeSantis. They're at the limit. They're at the end, unless they find some way to make it look like their money came through some other source or some other channel into the DeSantis campaign. And I'm sure that kind of thing does happen out there. I bet it. I bet it does. I bet it does a lot. Only 15% of DeSantis campaign fundraising came from small donors. Now, this is from an NBC News article, which is interesting. Um, Who is the author? Matt Dixon, I believe. Yes, Matt Dixon of NBC News. This came out last night at 6.23 p.m. But the burn rate, they've burned through, DeSantis has burned through $7.9 million in just six weeks. And so NBC says this, that solvency is going to become an issue for the DeSantis campaign. Solvency. They might be heading towards what you might call insolvency. NBC's quote, quote, The numbers suggest for the first time that solvency could be a threat to DeSantis' campaign, which has touted its fundraising ability as a key measure of viability. And that was last week when we pointed out when Maria Bartiromo was asking DeSantis, Hey, what's the matter with your campaign? What's wrong with you? And he said, Maria, haven't you seen our fundraising numbers? Oh, we've raised record amounts of money. 
But of course, what he had done was put money from his gubernatorial campaign, 82.5 million of it, which is MAGA money, into his presidential campaign. So anyway, they're burning through big money in the DeSantis camp, and they just fired, they fired a dozen staffers, gone. They fired them. And so Ron DeSantis visited a Dairy Queen in Iowa. Was that yesterday or two days ago? He visited a Dairy Queen. He's trying to imitate Trump because Trump went to the Dairy Queen in Iowa and was asking, what the hell is a blizzard? And it was hilarious. Crowded crowded Dairy Queen, people having a great time, chanting for Trump and all that. So his advisors, maybe they've been fired now, his advisor thought, hey, it's a good idea. Let's let's send DeSantis into a Dairy Queen, too. We can do that, too. <laughs> and then there's no one in there. And he's standing in this kind of empty Dairy Queen. And it's kind of quiet, except for the sounds of the machines making the blizzards. And he says he has a plan. I'm not worried about anything. Because they ask him, ooh, what do you... Reporter says, what about Tim Scott? Is he nipping at your heels? Is Tim Scott... Going to be competition. I'm not worried about anything, and we have a plan. I'll play that clip when we come back. Maybe the plan was to start firing his staff, but I don't know, folks. Like I've been clear about, I'm disappointed in DeSantis' brother, disappointed in this guy. He's not who I thought he was, and we sure could have used a good MAGA ally out there, but it ain't him. I'm glad he outed himself. He won't become another Pence for Trump 47. Be right back. There we go, Wilco. Wilco bringing us back in. And what's, what is that song called? It's called You Never Know. You Never Never Know. And here we are talking about the woes of Ron DeSantis, the spiraling. DeSantis now firing a dozen staffers. And apparently he had 92 people listed as being on his payroll for at least some period of the time during its first fundraising period, by far the most of any Republican presidential candidate, and apparently it's left his campaign with huge payroll expenses and fewer resources than originally thought. And that is according to NBC News. (laughs) And apparently those connected to the campaign are saying this, they think DeSantis's inter- inner circle underestimated just how hard and expensive it would be to break the grip on the Republican base held by Trump, who has a commanding lead and is seen as the overwhelming frontrunner. Even in Florida, a state that re-elected DeSantis by nearly 20 percentage points just seven months ago, Trump now has his own 20-point lead on DeSantis, according to a Florida Atlantic University poll released last week. Oh, clearly it's just not going well for DeSantis. The Oh, the money comes in from the big donors, but they're starting to run out of that money. And they don't have the little donors to keep chipping in 35 bucks at a time to keep the coffers full, which is exactly what Trump has. He's got middle, millions of them, middle and working class voters across this country who send in 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks, maybe 10 bucks. That's how you run a campaign 
And by the way, I will be cynical here and say that the RNC has exploited that. Trump's sheer gold mine as a fundraiser, they try to have, and that, that's how DeSantis got his money when he was running for governor. They thought he was a MAGA guy. But, you know, the RNC sends these things out, you know, like, hey, we love Trump, send us money to the RNC. Or to some complete rhino candidate the RNC is pushing to undermine Trump. See that? You got to watch where you spend your money. And my advice is directly to President 45 slash 47 is my hope. But I did mention off of the phone lines in just one second the... Uh, and yeah, the Rockies won. Yeah, good job. Okay, good job. They did win. I had Blake. Yeah, nope. buddy. Blake was having a spaz back there. I thought it was something I said, but no, it was the Rockies somehow. <laughs> anyway. It's both. Yeah, okay. You were yelling a little bit about something a bit ago, and I... About I, uh, DeSantis. Was... Oh, 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 that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> right on. But yeah, the DeSantis advisor said, hey, go into a Dairy Queen. You can do what Trump did in the Dairy Queen, which was a great, great, I loved that vignette of Trump in the happy America First Dairy Queen in Iowa. And, well, DeSantis tried it, and we want to hear what that sounded like. It's like cringe. It's like awkward. It's... Hey, Governor, is this still just between you and Trump right now, you think? Just watch. Just watch. I'll tell you this. Um, you know, being in Iowa, we really should be thankful as Republicans that they have such a great governor here and Governor Reynolds. Uh, she's done a fantastic job. She just had a huge victory uh, signing the, well, she's going to sign today the, the heartbeat bill. But she's done so much over so many different issues to make this one of the best governed states in the country. So I'm happy to, to, to support her efforts here and really hold her up as a great model for a lot of Republicans around the country. Are you worried about Tim Scott? I'm not worried about anything, man. I, uh, I, we, got a, we got a plan. We got a plan. Not worried about anything. Not worried about Tim Scott creeping up on me. Not worried about the nervous billionaire donors wanting to look for somewhere else to park their big money in the GOP primary. It's the big America last money, see? Not worried about that. We got a plan. Then the next day they fire 12. Hey, the plan. We're going to start firing my staff. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe that was the plan. But they have not gotten rid of Christina Pushaw, the Ukrainian. She was over there with Zelensky when he was installed in Ukraine. Now she's big advisor to DeSantis. And she's the one that, and I don't want to be uncharitable, but you'll see her on TV and this the big blonde hair and a face um, a little bit like a duck, okay? I'm, I'll just say that. There's been some cosmetic alterations there and duck-like. But see, I thought maybe she was fired. And nope, Pushaw has lived to fight another day. And she's the one who's a registered foreign agent. Why does DeSantis have a registered foreign agent on his campaign? Yeah. Um, and who was over there with Zelensky when he got installed. And still, oh, she survived the first purge somehow. Anyway, I've got more on DeSantis I might get to, but let's start saying some hellos. And here is Teresa in Denver. And glad you're here, Teresa. Oh, yes. Thank you. Listen, I get that $80 million of DeSantis. If he got that as was running for governor, is that even legal that he would sit on that instead of not sharing it with people like K 
Perry Lake or Doug Mastriano or Tudor Dixon? Why was he sitting on that money? How is that even legal that he can transfer that? That is a good question. But PACs, PAC law, there are attorneys out there who specialize in election law, and that's the kind of stuff they know. I've known a few of these people and interacted with a few of these people, and that system gets very arcane, very confusing. But I would say it's definitely legal to do that. Definitely legal. And, well, um, I don't know because I thought that was part of the uh, the, Re- the Republican Governors Association, the RGA, and it, it, I would think some law had to be changed to get it to allow him to do that. No, I don't think so. But again, I am not the expert on that. That's not a field that I find very interesting. But definitely, the system is set up to allow this stuff to happen. And there's no way, you know, DeSantis could be doing this and moving that money over. He did it quietly. He didn't talk about it. People had to kind of dig to find that stuff out because it kind of makes him look bad, right? But if that wasn't legal, yeah, he would have been... Well, these other candidates were sending text messages to me for money. They were starving for money. Everybody knew he was going to be reelected in 2022. You know, I think it's atrocious that he sat on that money. Well, if he uh, wanted to build a bigger following, he could have spread the wealth a little bit. And again, he got that money in the first place because people thought he was MAGA. People thought he was America first. Now, Carrie Lake, she ended up being starved by the RNC. Yes, if you remember that. And they kept sending money up to like Alaska to help out Murkowski. They kept sending money to help out the rhinos that Mitch McConnell likes. And the RGA, the Republican Governors Association, definitely is a racket designed to promote establishment-type Republican governors. It's it's very unfortunate. Well, today at the uh, TPUSA, it was Donald Trump won the straw poll, and Vivek Ramaswamy won the runner-up. He did, and then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did. That's percent. I can't wait for it when Ramaswamy gets ahead of DeSantis in the polls, and Ramaswamy is just some dude comes out of nowhere, and he's already almost catching up to DeSantis with all the millions and all the glowing profiles on Fox News, and the, <laughs> when when Vivek gets ahead of DeSantis, I'm gonna like have a have a little party around here, and it sounds like oh, it happened too. at Charlie Kirk's deal. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Teresa, yeah, thanks for thanks for letting us know about that. That's that's ending our one on a great note. Anyway, thank you. Be back.